Awesome. All right, well, Brian's going to be preaching today, but, <clears throat> pardon me, I just want to say something as we approach the end of this Revelation series. And uh, today and next week will be actually be the last two sermons for Brahm. We're wrapping it all up because Revelation only goes for 22 chapters. Correct. Uh, today we're going to hear things like, phrases like premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial. And we could all say, oh my gosh, this is just all a bit too much. But no, 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 no. We, um, at the very least, we actually need a framework of thinking. And this is vital today. So I wanted to get up and say a couple of things because I think it's really important to hear with the right ears as we, as we listen, uh, not just today, but for the entire series. And we can always go back and, and re-listen. But, you know, some nations have entire political systems that are built on beliefs that are erroneously taken from and substantiated from this book of Revelation that we've been delving into, especially in this issue that we're going to hear about today from Brown. Um, and I'm going to use an example from a very cool movie. Some of you would have seen it. Well, actually, I shouldn't say cool because you'll probably go, oh, that's just so not cool. But The Devil Wears Prada. Okay, it's not cool, okay? But, you know, I'm old. Oh, it is? Oh, okay, it's cool. Anyway, Miranda, Meryl Streep's character, you know, she's this high-powered magazine executive <laughs> representing the runways of the top fashion houses of the world. I love this, this moment. And as I was sort of jotting down these thoughts, I remembered this moment because you know, clearly I watch a lot of movies, too many movies, but um, so she represents, this magazine represents all the top fashion houses of the world, the, you know, the upper echelons of, of all of that, and she sarcastically points out that the unique colour, does anyone remember this, the unique colour of a cheap jumper uh, from a cheap shop that Anne Hathaway's character is wearing, that Anne thinks that she chose, um, she, she begins to sarcastically point out some things, and she states that the colour, first of all, that colour, that unique sort of colour, showed up first in the runways of Paris and then filtered down from the top high-end fashion houses to department stores, then trickled down to some cheap clearance bin that Meryl then points out, I love her, she's the most incredible actress, and says this is undoubtedly where Anne got her jumper from, from the clearance bin. And, uh, and Meryl points out that it's wrong for Anne to say she thinks she made a choice, when really that choice was made for her by a few people of influence in that very room. Now, the belief systems that we hold, take hold of in the clearance bins of the internet, Hollywood movies like Left Behind and the books or just public Christian opinion, of which there is a lot. Uh, they come from somewhere, okay? We have to re realise this and understand this. The Left Behind guy, Tim LaHaye, I believe his name is, um, which that whole movie and that whole thing now, I think we can all understand, and especially after today, we'll realise it's an incorrect biblical interpretation. It's part of a small group. This is what I found absolutely fascinating, because I've been studying politics, the political systems um, for the last few years, right, is part of a small group of about six people who in 1981 started a now highly influential political group that has profoundly, profoundly, and I won't go into it because you know I'll be here for half an hour preaching to you all about this, um, impacted the American political system and its direction. You see, all of that came from a big umbrella idea above it all. And so all of us have to look up and see the big umbrella thought process that sprouts all the other thinking that then trickles down and affects society. 
So this guy, basically, who wrote that series, that book series, and then did a book on the Left Behind series, has an incorrect eschatology or end times understanding of what the Bible is saying, and yet he has affected uh, and influenced the very core, and the, his, that whole belief system has seeped into culture to the point that it's affecting governmental systems and political systems. All right, so it's really important. The church's role is huge, and we have to understand this. So let's be intelligent believers. You know, Brahm always says that to us. Let's pay attention. You know, we can't afford to be lazy 21st century Christians addicted to the fairy floss sugar addiction that has become so many churches uh, because church is more than an instant experience and, uh, and a promise for personal gain and our ministry and blah, 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 all the rubbish we hear. Rather, over the centuries, when we look back in church history, or just in general history uh, as it is, we see that it does, in fact, inform society and provide the fundamental belief system that is at the core of where nations can eventually head. Okay? So this is the power of the gospel and the power of the church. That's why more and more... And you've heard me say this before, but I, I want to position ourselves today, okay? Because Bram's going to be speaking from Revelation again. But this is why more and more I appreciate the huge role and responsibility of the ascension gift or fivefold teacher uh, to undergird the foundation of what we actually believe. The, more, the modern church has been more conditioned to the role of pastor and prophet, and even then that's questionable, and evangelistic flair. The thing I love and always been terrified of in the book of Revelation is that it comes across as there's this secret code. And uh, you know, as a kid, I always hated fantasy films and, and comics and all that sort of thing. I, I never understood concepts. I needed practical, real-life stuff. But this series has literally given me the code-breaking ability uh, to the point that now I question Brahm and ask, I even challenge him, from all different angles, because we all want to know the truth. We're all on a pursuit of truth. And I quote back to him, it's hilarious. I, I sound like I know what I'm talking about until he, he just very kindly and in great humility shoots me down in flames. No, it's great. Uh, <laughs> but at least I have a go. But at least now I feel like I can, I can actually talk about this stuff. And so I'll quote Gordon Fee, who's a highly respected theologian. And he'll, you know, come back with me and talk with me. Um, and I always remember, you know, when uh, at the beginning of this Revelation series, our son Ben actually said, when Brown was telling Ben we were going to do it, he, one thing he said, and I've never forgotten, he said, make our people smart, Dad. And see, I think probably even he represents a lot of people in that generation, the millennial generation, that are looking for smart Christians, people that are intelligent believers, that are actually tired of the fairy floss stuff and want to know the truth. Is that true? Um, we've got a lot of smart, intelligent people in this, in this church. And, uh, but, you know, I, I understand it's arduous, it's tedious listening to this series, uh, but it's essential. So now I can see when the sensationalist senior pastors on Facebook get on there and do their graphs about revelation. I can now see for myself that it's error. I don't get confused anymore. I can interpret it for myself. And I can see how the modern-day church culture of one guy at the top has forced, that whole culture has forced these people in, to step into the role of ascension gift teacher, not to mention pastor, prophet, apostle, and evangelist, when they're actually not even gifted in those particular areas. 
No one senior pastor is everything. Only Jesus is. So let's listen today to the teacher that God has given us. You know, God gives, Jesus gives gifts. When he ascended, he gave gifts in the form of people. And one of them is, is the teacher. Let's, get, let's listen to the teacher that God has given to us with our hearts wide open because God wants us to have the ears of a disciple. So let me explain to you how to listen because I've had to learn to do this. Here are the main points, okay? Remember to grasp the difference between what is historical and was merely imagery for that period in time. Hopefully we've already started to grasp all that. And also what is the definite literal future that will in fact affect us all. Don't stress about all the big labels and the big words, you know, pre-millennial, amillennial. Like I used to hear all that stuff and completely turn off. They're man-made terms anyway, but it is necessary to explain those things. And Brahm will be speaking about them today. But don't get bogged down in all of that. Just listen, let it go in. Because this is what, it's really necessary because this kind of, uh, misunderstanding is what is feeding the food chain production line for that cheap jumper in the clearance bin of swirling opinions. All right? We can either keep buying whatever someone else spews out, and we can just be there and be subject to what the higher echelons of high fashion have dished out and told us we have to buy when it comes to opinions, or we can actually go to the top and decide for ourselves what we believe. And I feel so empowered after this series. It's revolutionised me and literally become like the capstone on everything I believe. And I, I look at it and go, wow, we've actually been on the right track all these years, but this is just reinforced and become... It's been amazing for me. Uh, but these, are, these terms are really important to mention for people already know, who already know them and also helpful to so many of us so we can go back and listen again and begin to understand. Now, to be honest, and I'm f finishing up now, I've stressed out many times, along with probably many of you listening to each sermon, just on face value. I'll sit here when we've, when we've been here, which is hardly ever, or even just sitting live in the lounge room listening to bra. My head just wants to explode, and I'm going, I got lost at let's pray at the beginning. So, um, hey, I'm being honest. I'm not as clever as you guys. Um, and so much overwhelming information and imagery. Has anyone else felt it even slightly like me, or am I... Yeah, good. Yeah, thank you. I see those hands. Um, I have felt that I get it, right? Um, and I've had to go back and listen again and again. And I've had my own life group, I've had the privilege of having my own life group debrief and vibrant discussions with Brahm at home. And then suddenly, listen to this, suddenly the other night, I recited back to Brahm, just off the top of my head, my understanding of the basic thread of the entire book. I said, all right, Brian, just tell me this. Have I got this right? And I went from chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, da, 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 up to 11. I kind of pushed them all in together. And then right through to where we are now. And he said, yep, you've got it. And you know what? It's like the, the punchlines at the end of all his sermons had sunk in. I realized halfway through the book of Revelation that this is the greatest love letter to the church. This is Jesus' greatest love letter. But now it's dawning on me. It's actually the greatest love letter to all of humanity about God's patience, his kindness, and his long-suffering. He's a good God. He's a beautiful father. He's a kind, heavenly father. He's redemptive. He's not vindictive. So now here we are, number 28. Congratulations.
which will give ourselves a tap on the back. Um, in the Revelation series, this is meat. So I want you to get your spiritual steak knives out, sit back, enjoy the meal, wait for the gold at the end, because you know there's in the inevitable punchline, isn't there, Carvin? The Brahm always brings. You sort of sit there going, well, I do. Not Probably no one else. I, I just kind of feel confused. Then all of a sudden, bang, he just brings it. And I go, okay, I get it. Wait for that and let the Holy Spirit help us all to digest. All right? So let's just pray. Let's put our hands on our hearts and let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. And we thank you, Lord, that we're now into chapters, the last few chapters, Lord, which are like the the most important chapters probably of the whole book as we, as we come towards the end of what you're saying in this love letter to humanity. Father, we ask that you would open up the eyes of our hearts to see, hear, and understand. Open up our spiritual ears. Help us to grasp what your spirit is saying to the church. We don't have to understand all the terminology. We don't have to grasp everything, Lord, but just Holy Spirit, right now, you minister to our thinking. You minister to our understanding. And show us what it is we need to hear today. Lord, we are hungry for your word. And we know that in the end, it's your word that will prevail. The incorruptible seed of the word of God. And I thank you, Lord, for your anointing, not only on our ears to hear, but also on Brahm as he speaks and as he preaches this to us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. All right. Thank you, baby. That was awesome. The love letter for the world. That was talking about the echelon and the fashion and all that stuff. All of a sudden, something came to me. I remember, you know, we have the prayer tower on Zoom, and, and the song that was going on, you know, while, while I was praying using the, the prayer tower worship was, Jaira, you are enough. So <clears throat> as I was listening to that, you know, you listen to something, and then something was going in your head. So I thought, gee, I need a new pair of jeans. So because of the combination of the two, what nearly came out of my, my, my mouth was, Zara, you. <laughs> I thought, whoops. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Like, that's, that was, that's the truth. So I thought, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. So, okay, let's decide to leave behind the left behind. <laughs> okay. Let's, let us leave behind the left behind theology. Okay, let's go to Revelation chapter 20. I'm going to read it. Everybody, Revelation chapter 20 verse 1. This is a very important passage here. Okay. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nation any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones. And seated on them, seated on them, were those to whom authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. 
They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Verse 7. And then the thousand years are ended. Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. Let me say this. Gog and Magog. Gog is the king. Magog is the name of the nation. That's the language of Ezekiel. And we can trace it back to to, uh, Genesis chapter 10 after the flood, Noah flood. So what, what it is, you know, the nation Magog was mentioned in the Noah's flood as ancestral nation. So the, the purpose of the writing here pretty much saying the nations of the world. Is that right? So, so, we, so you don't get all caught up in what is the meaning of Magog. That's just what it is. So Gog and Magog, together them for battle, and their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived him, uh, deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be torment, tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades also gave up the dead who were in them. And they were just each, of, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That is so intense. So, so that we appreciate this passage because it is intense, I would like to, uh, like I said, you know, we are approaching the, the, uh, the end of the book of Revelation, but for us to appreciate this, I'm just going to go through just the overall flow of the book up to this point. Okay, so from chapter 1 to chapter 19, what, what, what's happening is the church was given a heaven's perspective of what happened in the world then. This is evident. In other words, God is trying to show the church, I want you to see what's happening in the world from heaven's perspective. This is evident by frequent occurrences throughout the whole uh, 19 chapters occurrences of interludes in the form of various heavenly scenes 
many of which are hints or glimpses of what their future or the church's future would be should they remain faithful to the end. That's the purpose of those different interludes of heavenly scenes. So that's chapter 1 to chapter 19. In chapter 20 to 21, we are presented with two contrasting realities here in these three chapters. First is the tragic ultimate end of evil, chapter 20, and the ultimate glorious and eternal new beginning for the church, chapter 21 to 22. Chapter 20 gives us the picture of the last final battle between good and evil. Like I said, ultimately, evil ended. So let's look at, I want to do the PowerPoint here. The final battle in, in context. Have you got it there? Is it in the PowerPoint? Boom. Okay. It begins with chapter 12 where the war began in, the, in, in heaven where Satan lost the war and he was thrown from heaven down to earth. And then the next thing is the beast and false prophet conquered. So after he was thrown down, what happened is Satan used human agents just like God used two witnesses in chapter 11 this time, Satan also used his human agents to, uh, to execute what he want, wanted to do, called the beasts and false prophets. And they, in chapter 13, it seems like they conquered the saints, the believers. And then in chapter, and, and the next one is we got the scene presented as this prostitute, the whole riding on the beast. So the whole actually represents the city Rome, and the beast is the whole system of imperial system, the whole empire, all the allied kings and all that. And riding on the whole system is Rome. Now here's the thing. After this, you will see the tables turned. Yeah? Next one. The next thing we know within the same chapter the whole was destroyed and devoured by the beast. Got it there? Next. And then after that, next one, the beast, the beast and false prophets are conquered. Can you see that? Started as the beast seem to conquer, now, as I said, the tables are turned. Now the beast and the false prophets are conquered. Up to this point, it's all historical about the Roman Empire depicted as the new Babylon. That's why the, the, uh, John used the language Babylon. He was referring to the Roman Empire. So the last one is when the beast... At the beginning, the beast was thrown down from heaven to earth. Now, Satan, the be- uh, not the beast, Satan, was thrown down from heaven to earth. Now, the last one is Satan is thrown down from earth to the abyss and the lake of fire. Can you see that? It's amazing the way the book is structured. So let's talk about this chapter 20. And... Uh, Unfortunately, many people have uh, focused on, the, on this thing called millennium, a thousand years. 
that, it, that is actually not the, the focus of the chapter, but we will talk about it just briefly here. So this thousand year first uh, uh, chapter 20, there are two things that happen within this thousand years. Number one is Satan is bound like we just read before. And then the next thing is the faithful believers rule and reign with Jesus within this thousand years. So Satan is bound, verse 1 to verse, verse 3, and then the faithful believers rule and reign with Jesus in verse 4 to 6. Now, like Diane mentioned before, there are differences of opinions about the timing of, it's, it's all about the timing of this 1,000 years. Okay, the first uh, is the call the pre-millennial, or the people who believe in that, we, we term them uh, pre-millennialist. It means that this thousand years, Jesus will come, will return to establish a specific thousand-year kingdom. In other words, Jesus would come before the thousand years. Okay? And then the, the other opinion is called the... So that one is pre-millennial, before the, the thousand years. And the other opinion is post-millennialist. Those who believe that Jesus would come after the thousand years. Now, that I mentioned a bit, and I don't want to labor too much on that. This is actually from people who are so eager to, to, to do the work of evangelism, but also people who believe that, you know, like people strongly believe about Christian nations and all that, that we can transport the society. That is true, but actually the Bible, Jesus is very clear. The kingdom of God is not observable around us. It's in you. It's very clear. You can't see it. It's not observable, but it's in you. So every time, and unfortunately, people with this sort of belief system try to create a safe system for Christians. And there's nothing wrong being involved in the, in, in the, in the politics as a Christian, but being a, being a witness to the people. But if people try to create a system just like the Catholics, the, whatever the history, the Middle Ages, and, and uh, all that, we're going to go down anyway. Because no, like I said, always said before, I'm going to say it again. You can create a perfect constitution, perfect law. You know what? All those constitutions, law, subject to humans' interpretation and manipulation. A good example is Israel. Their very constitution was written by the finger of God. Hello? <laughs> Look where they ended. Okay, let's continue. And the other third group called the amillennialists. They believe that this thousand year, thousand years period is a symbolic of the present age of the church. In other words, from the time of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus until his second coming, it's, it's a symbolic thing of this, this, uh, this, uh, yeah, of, of this thousand year. So it's not literally a thousand, but it's a, an era. All these differences of views will be resolved as we read, as we go through and unpack these different view, uh, passages and verses in, in this passage, all right? So let's go to the passage back again. <clears throat> Point number one of the passage is Satan being thrown down to the abyss. 
Verse 3 gives the key and uh, key correct interpretation of the thousand year period. Let's read it. And it says here that the angel threw him to the pit and shut it and sealed it over him. Listen to this. This is chapter 20, verse 3. So that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. Let's stop at that. I believe that pretty much cancels out the amillennialists that believe that the thousand year is the, the symbol of the age of the church from the day Jesus raised from the dead to the second coming. Why? We are certainly not living in a time where there is no deception. <laughs> the devil is deceiving the nations right now. Even some Christians. All right? So that's good. Mm. At the beginning of chapter of the battle, chapter two, uh, chapter twelve, remember, Satan is thrown down out of heaven, down to earth. This time, he is thrown down to the abyss. Now, another name for abyss in in uh, in the Bible is Hades, or in the Hebrew, it is called Sheol. Abyss, Hades, Sheol. It is the realm of the dead. Realm of the dead. This is how bad the realm is because even demons don't want to go there. You don't believe me? Remember Luke, Luke chapter 8, verse 31, when Jesus met this man who, who was possessed by a legion of demons? What did they say? Please don't send us to the abyss. It must, must be a very bad realm. Even demons don't want to go there. <laughs> But here's the thing, what I like, as I read this, I thought, this war, it takes only one angel to put Satan away. Shows that Satan is nothing. Really. Okay, the second point. The scene of those in Christ on the thrones with Jesus. Chapter 20, verse 4 to 6. It says here in Revelation 24, I'll, I'll read it because I want to make a point here. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life, listen to this, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, the amillennialists, the people, those guys, you know, they're, they're the, the old saints like the, the Augustine or even Martin Luther, all right? They believe in this. They believe, no, no, it's a symbol of, you know, that, that era, like I told you before. But that statement, so they based that on that statement using Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, that believers have been raised and seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Uh, we were raised, you know, we were raised in, in, in Christ Jesus and, and sit with him in the heavenly places. So that makes sense, doesn't it? However, my argument to that is this, to that view. In Ephesians 
letter to the Ephesus, Paul was speaking to people about one time they were separated from God and were dead in sin, yet now made alive with Christ Jesus. And yet Revelation is not talking about the same people. He was talking about people who died not in sin, but for their testimony. Can you see that? Who died not in sin, but rather those who died for holding on to their testimony. So in other words, that really cancelled out that view. This era, the Bible says, is marked as the first resurrection. And it says, blessed, blessed are those who take part in this, and the second death has no power over them. So point number three is the end of the thousand years. It says here that Satan is released, and he will go out to deceive nations, and he will gather them for a battle against the city of God, which is as if you follow the Revelation, city of God means the church because it is sort of going towards the ultimate city, which is the new Jerusalem, right? So the city of God, the church. And it says, fire, come, fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil, was, the devil was thrown into the lake, burning with sulfur. It is where the beasts and false prophets have been thrown into, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And point number four is is we are talking now about eternal judgment. And it says here, then I saw a great white throne. This is is crazy. And in him, uh, and, and him who was seated on it. Now listen to this. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Then another book was open also, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged, and by, by what was written in the book, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, the picture here is crazy. What it's saying is that the elements and the realm of the universe back off because of what is about to take place. The earth and the sky fled from the presence of God. This is approaching the second judgment here, uh, the eternal judgment. Sea and earth, Hades, gave up the dead. So not just the elements, but the realm of, of, of the universe back off from God because God is about to do something. Yeah. Now, remember in chapter 6, verse 16, we read how the mighty kings and mighty men and and the, the kings of the earth cried out to the mountain to fall on them. 
Remember? Because of the wrath of God and the wrath of the Lamb of God. Remember? This time, it's not like that this time. Because they all fled away from the presence of God. So what is left now is just human face to face with God. They can't cry out, fall on us. It says there, Mantu said, no, we're backing off here. God is moving. Hmm. It's interesting. The journey of Satan from heaven to earth to a beast and lake of fire. <laughs> now, the, now we have the big question here. How can all this be a presentation of loving God? <laughs> That's what the world would, would see it, right? How can this be a presentation of a loving God? I want to say this. That you and I all know God is holy, righteous, and loving. Do you agree with that? And those three things are inseparable. They are inseparable. And unfortunately, you and I, we like to and we tend to humanize God and pick and choose the version of him that suits us. That makes us feel comfortable. I've said this before and I'm going to say it again over and over. God does not express his love at the expense of his righteousness and holiness, but in the context of his righteousness and holiness. You need to get that. We need to get that. God does not express his love at the expense of his righteousness and holiness, but in the context of his righteousness and holiness. You know, when people talk about Christians, they kind of know a little bit about it. The gospel is all about the love of God, right? I agree. But have you read Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Yeah, great. And he said, because in it, he didn't say the love of God is revealed. He said, the righteousness of God is revealed. Whoa. And as you read further, then you realize this whole idea is propitiation. That in expressing his love, he did it from the context of his righteousness and holiness. And guess what? He took the punishment. This is the thing. People don't understand the gospel. And, and they said the Bible is a, is a uh, what about hate language. Yeah, because you try to humanize God. Like I said, you just like to take the you like to compartmentalize God's character and pick up whatever you, you, you prefer. And my, what I want to say is this. While God is not vindictive, he is a God who vindicates. They're two different things. Because as you read here, 
in the book of Revelation, especially this part, what we are talking about now is God's final judgment, which brings a complete end to evil. That's for eternity. But in the process, we've gone through the process of the book of Revelation. Up until before that point, what happened? He brought judgments to keep evil at bay and to get men's attention so as to bring them to the point of repentance and be restored. Come on, guys. That's the whole point of judgments. If anything, judgments reveal the character, loving character of God. He's trying to get their attention. But as you read, especially in chapter 11 and chapter 13, they decided not to. Let's have a closer, close, even closer look at this 1,000 years, right? Just an aspect of it. It will give us a clear understanding. It is a time after the second coming, okay? After the second coming. It is a time marked by the first, as the first resurrection for those who died in Christ, those who, who live, who are, who are alive. If, according to Paul, when Jesus comes, those who are alive will be changed in a moment. So one, those who died in Christ and those who are alive, you know, it's for those people, us, you and I. It is also the time when Satan is locked up in the abyss. Why? Well, it says in, in, the, in the beginning, in verse 3, to keep him from deceiving the nations who don't know Jesus at that time. Now listen to this. It is as if this whole truth is communicating to us through the book of Revelation, as if God is saying, listen, okay, I sent my son to die for you. You didn't believe him. You killed him. Then I sent my two witnesses to testify about my son. Two witnesses is the church, right? And you killed them. Obviously, you've been deceived by the deceiver called Satan. So let me remove him out of the way, as well as the false prophets and the beast, so there will be no more deception, no one to deceive you, no one to persecute you. Not only that, after all that, I'm going to spend a thousand years building my kingdom, establishing my kingdom, my visible kingdom on earth, so you can see how I run my kingdom on earth. Now, obviously, with the loser out of the way, you should be able to see it for what it is because no one's going to lie to you about my kingdom. And I believe it was as if God is saying this, and if that doesn't change you from doing what you're doing now, I think the deal's off. You and I not just need to know the truth. We need to be contenders for the truth. This is the truth. I'm going to come to a conclusion. If I can have measles here. I want to say this. There is an inbuilt nature in us that is called self. That gets in the way between us and God all the time. Let me say this. Even in the absence of deception. 
It shows that in, in, the, in the book of Revelation. Satan gathered those nations to war against, against, against God after 1,000 years watching the kingdom of God with no liars, no deception, no devil. In other words, this thing called self will always get in the way between us and God, even in the absence of deception. Just want to give a simple... It's right from the beginning. With Adam and Eve. I don't want to go too long, but Adam and Eve, it says when they ate the fruit, sin entered. Now listen to this. Who was tempted? It was Eve. I want to say this. Okay? Adam ate the fruit. He had the, the word from God because he was created first. Adam ate the fruit when he wasn't tempted by God, uh, by, by Satan. He chose to eat the fruit knowing what the truth is and no one was deceiving him. Have you ever thought about that? It's kind of scary, isn't it? What we need to do is, that's why Jesus made, made that claim. If you want to be my disciples, you need to lose self in you. We need to lose self in us and replace it with Jesus. What we have seen today is the ultimate end of evil. On the one hand. And on the other hand, from what I just said, just the last few points there, is the extent of God's love and mercy. This is the gospel, guys. Let's all stand up. Let's make a fresh commitment to Jesus. That's the only one thing true. Let's don't be Christians who pick and choose what God's supposed to be. No, we need to readjust our thinking. This whole thing of deconstruction and the, you know, it's stupid. I'm serious. That's fine. You have some difficulties you might want to deconstruct, but you have to reconstruct your thinking now. You have to arrive at that point of reconstructing it and back to the truth. It, it will cost you your life. It will cost many Christians their life. When I say life itself, let's be that radical Christian. Come on. I'm discipling you now. It's time for the world to see what we Father, in Jesus' name, beyond what happens here, Lord, we want to see the fruit when we go out this door and touch many lives, Lord Jesus. We need to be people of the truth, being touched by the truth, being sanctified when you pray to the Father, Jesus, sanctify us with your truth. But then to become people who actually Embody that truth in our lives. 
encounter that truth. Doesn't matter where we go. At the cost of our own self, Jesus. Doesn't matter how we feel, doesn't matter what situation happened out there, it's what we tolerate here that will destroy us, Lord. And Father, I repent, Lord. Some of you maybe have to deal with God about some things, or I don't know, whatever it is, but this is my prayer, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord, if there's anything that I've tolerated, Lord. Whether it's attitude or many ways, whatever it is, Lord. All of us, Father. Because it's not the chaos in the world that will destroy Tolerate within that we are undoing. Bless your people, Father. Bless your people. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys.